Welcome to the Agile Coffee Podcast. Proud to be a part of the Agile Podcast Network, agilepodcastnetwork.com. This is episode 73 of the Agile Coffee Podcast, and my name is Vic Bonacci. So here at the podcast, we usually run a lean coffee, which is what we're doing today. And I'm excited because we've got two brand new voices this time around. Very uh, happy to include them into the conversation. Some of the topics that came up that we do discuss uh, include strengths finder, value hypothesis, and so on. Uh, complete show notes for this episode is on the website agilecoffee.com slash episode 73. There's two ways you can help support my show. First, if you're looking for an online CSM class, check out onlinescrumclass.com. You can also help me out by going to patreon.com slash agilecoffee for the price of your monthly chai tea latte <laughs> or your double espresso shot. Uh, you, can, you can help me out by uh, becoming a patron there. And you get goodies. Some of the goodies on their way include mugs and merch just in time for the holidays. Well, it looks like your order is up, so here you go. Sit back, relax, and enjoy a fresh brew of Agile Coffee. Agile Coffee. Agile Coffee. Welcome back to the Agile Coffee Podcast. This is episode 73. And today, there's four of us fresh off of the Agile Open Southern California, we've got Lakshmi Ramaseshan, Professor Hadar Ziv, and Larry Lawhead. Hello to everyone. Hello, Vic. Hello. Hi, Vic. Twitter handles and uh, show notes and everything are on the uh, website, agilecoffee.com slash episode 73. So yeah, Lakshmi, welcome. This is your first time on the show. Um, good to have I'm you join us. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Yeah, and, and Professor Ziv, Hadar, this is your first time to join us as well. So It is, it is. Better late than never. <laughs> That's what they say. And we have Larry back, and that makes me excited as always. It's always um, great to be here, Vic. I'm really happy that we're all together. So, Hadar, yours is the first, so I'll put some time on the clock. Uh, did, did the Agile Open work virtually? Good topic. Yeah, so again, I'll, I'll introduce it in probably the same, almost the same, using the same words. Uh, our biggest concern, or certainly top three concern going in, um, you are all on the committee and uh, it takes us weeks and months to plan uh, an event uh, every year, and this was no exception. But the biggest change or the biggest um, unknown was... Um, is it going to work virtually? Is 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 more than two hundred people in a in an opening circle on Zoom going to work? And uh, there were uh, lots of uh, additional support tools like like Miro that also needed to work for everyone. So it's a co combination topic because I, I want to hear both your your personal opinions and and also what you heard from others in hindsight, especially. I thought it was really quite interesting. I had no idea if this is going to work or not. I was kind of um, like Dr. I was kind of split in two. I didn't know whether I should, uh, whether it was going to work or not, you know, a skeptic or not. So I thought I'll just have to see what goes on here. And to be honest with you, I was blown away. First of all, the prep was, of course, what it was. It was quite a bit, but the the equipment worked well. We planned it. At, we, we did our dry run. And... The, the the feel of the conference was just as good 
in my opinion, than if we were to have done it in person. Of course, I missed physically being next to people, shaking their hands, giving them a little hug or whatever, that personal conversation. But the quality of the event was the was ex was the same or maybe better than uh, an in-person event. The reason why I say better is because we were able to draw in a larger crowd or a crowd from um, from a further, a bigger distance. For example, we had somebody from uh, London. She dialed in. Uh, we had a few people from the state of Washington. Now, granted, they could all have flown in, but it was much easier. And I think we got a lot of out-of-state, if you will, people uh, that we may not have, have uh, gotten uh, if we would have had a physical event. So I, the the breadth part of it was was a was amazing, and also their their uh, con contributions were 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 really good. So I enjoyed it, worked out well, very enthusiastic. I had to do do it again, even after this uh, pandemic is over with. Larry, since you're our connection to sponsors, what did you hear from sponsors after the fact? Oh, interesting. Uh, they didn't have any um, improvements that I could tell. I mean, I, I always do the, get, send a follow-up email, say thank you for your support and do you have any suggestions. And they all liked how it worked, how smooth it went. Uh, it was the thing that I liked the most was they appreciated the fact that we gave them another opportunity to support the community. I thought, wow, that is amazing. Because you think sponsors are just in it for the PR or whatever they might get. They didn't have any tables, no physical presence. Um, but yet they were thankful for the opportunity to be involved. And I thought that was a, that was amazing. I, I also saw a lot of uh, feedback on Slack and other venues. Um, I think the closing circle also basically saying thank you for keeping this alive, you know. And yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, the sponsors were definitely a part of that voice as well. Um, so many virtual conferences are are happening or have happened or are planning to, to happen coming up. In fact, uh, uh, I'll make an announcement a little later on. Um, for an upcoming event, but ours, I think, as you said, we we had the right people in place to pull it off. I mean, mm -hmm. definitely, true. Uh, Hadar, as you said, and, and Larry, you're talking about the sponsors, but but we've done the planning, we've done the show so many times, non virtually, like face to face. This was what our eleventh year, I think, for this one. Yes. Um, that and I know not all of us were around all eleven years, um, but uh, I think there was a, lot, a high level of trust in each other as a team, um, and each kind of person either finding their own skill and applying it or partnering up with someone else. That uh, it made me feel very relieved going into it, um, even though it was a virtual open space. And uh, as the person who was opening the space and the opening circle, the evening news, closing the circle on day two. I was trying to imagine what is it going to be like, um, you know, not seeing everybody's face 
um, mm-hmm. not walking around and and making eye contact and 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 allowing other people, as Diana Larson told me when when I was learning how to open space, uh, by walking in a circle, people on opposite sides of the circle they're they're looking at me, but once I step out of their frame, they can see the person 180 degrees away from them, mm-hmm. and there's connections that are being made in that way too, mm-hmm. and so I was concerned about that. Um, and then as, as the committee knows, which maybe not the rest of uh, the attendees quite knew, but the committee knew that I was having um, uh, issues with my own home internet. Mm-hmm. So all the practice that I had put in, um, I wanted to make sure that my internet was stable. I ended up getting a, a hotel room for the morning opening circle and, and set things up and it, and it worked, but it wasn't, again, I couldn't make use of all the different technology that I had at home. Um, and it was very disconcerting because for a while I couldn't see any Zoom reaction from anybody. I was just looking at my own slides and my own thumbnail. And it was, is anyone out there? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I just kind of stayed focused and got out of the way um, as needed and then just relied on um, the Miro board that we use for the marketplace. Lakshmi, you you put that together and, and that was that worked out really well. Um so, so from my perspective, I think moving from different Zoom rooms, uh, and it was actually Zoom, you'd have to like leave the meeting and join a new mm-hmm. meeting. Um, but that seemed, I didn't hear anyone that had a problem with it. It was all advertised on Miro. They knew where to go. Um, and I was able to do that when I wasn't hosting my own meeting, like Larry, you said you were doing. Um, and the other technologies that we used, um, <clears throat> what else did we use? Miro, <laughs> Zoom? And Zoom, yeah, and Slack. Slack, yeah. Oh, sure. And and yeah. we invited Chris to be on tonight's uh, podcast. He couldn't join us, though, Chris Herney. And um, he was the one who, who I think was doing the most in terms of getting the Slack set up. So mm-hmm. we can ask him on a future podcast if there's any secrets he wants to share to that. You know, to that, to that end, uh, the Slack channel, and I had that running on the side so I wouldn't miss out on anything. They were just full of great ideas and great input. Uh, you could have stayed on the Slack channel and gotten a uh, huge benefit without even going to the Zoom room. Of course, the Zoom, exactly. Zoom rooms are better just because I think I'm prejudiced. But the Slack, was, Slack channel is full of great ideas. And people are using it constantly uh, throughout both days. That was a that was a home run. And I have to say, Lakshmi, the the mural that you did was perfect. I think if it wasn't for the care and the consideration, the thought, and the I don't know how many iterations you had to go through to do this, it wouldn't have been quite so smooth. But it was it was just like the physical board. So there was very very little learning. People knew how to use the links. They worked. It was all there. And also the uh, sponsors and also uh, some other companies that weren't sponsors posted job offerings. Uh, other mm-hmm. people uh, posted, you know, looking for work. And that part of the board got quite a bit of traffic. And as a matter of fact, I, I know uh, from a conversation I had last week, uh, a comp- uh, somebody, it looks like somebody's getting very close to have gotten a job. Now, that's just one example. Maybe there are others as well. Uh, but that that's perfect that's the way that that is the agile community at its very best yeah i i couldn't agree more i think uh i think just going back to just a few months ago when we were not really sure how this is all going to come together um the thing that i think we always could count on is 
this is Agile Open. This is our people, you know? So yeah. we're going to try and experiment. We'll see how it goes. And, you know, we'll just learn and we'll adapt and everyone will be gracious. And that's really how it was. I mean, it turned out to be better than we expected. Um, but I think going in, we just didn't know how the whole energy would be, how it would feel, how the open space part of it would work. Um, we didn't know if 100 collaborators were on Miro, will it be chaotic? Will stuff get moved around? <laughs> we were just not sure. And, um, and I think it was, for me, the biggest thing was seeing the value, again, that we brought to the community, just seeing mm -hmm. everyone engage. And, yeah. um, and regardless of the fact that it was virtual, and I agree with what you said, um, Vic, that uh, the whole energy of the opening circle is being in that circle, right? But, mm -hmm. but I think you did a phenomenal job of holding space. And even though to you, it might have not felt the same, to us it did. Because if you just closed your eyes and listened, you mm -hmm. actually were in the space and you could feel the energy. So uh, you paused enough, you reflected enough, you had... Um, the right images and you you really had the right guidelines to pull us all together so thank you for doing that that was that was just beautifully done I, I didn't know how that part of it was going to work so I was really happy about that I agree looking back on it I think I was probably channeling some of my morning meditations that I listened to and like reminding people to breathe and that type of thing that's um, perfect and, and I'm very excited the mirror worked well because um, I went to town on it one weekend after we got on a committee call and I was like, Paul, got to see how this would work. And I was, I think I uh, channeled uh, Denise's physical board in <laughs> the, the UCI main room um, in the student hall and I channeled that and I said, okay, well, let's just try something, you know, and how do we differentiate all of these rows and let's put different colors. And I think, you know, just experimentation and uh, playing with it uh, really got us to that place. So I'm glad that it worked well. And I think less is more. Um, as yeah, sure about it there. Um, do you, would you mind if I put a snapshot of the Miro uh, marketplace on the website? So people, if they're curious, they could see what we used. Yeah. No, I'd yeah. love that. So I'll throw that up there. Um, and, and I think fortunately for me, when, when I did have to do the opening circle with limited technology um, that did force me to just, just look at the camera, make eye contact with people, um, and, and focus on on just the message as opposed to trying to do too much with technology. So that was a, a nice thing. Hadar, was there anything else you wanted to add as we wrap up this topic? Yeah, I feel like I want to mostly echo everything that's been said. And um, uh, don't, you, don't you guys find it interesting that... Uh, I started with a question about tools and we all ended up talking about the people. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Isn't there, isn't there a manifesto or something that says yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> we value. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Very good. We value the things on the left. So, so the next uh, Agile Open that that this group or some of people some of the people in this group are participating in is the um, the one down in in San Diego, uh, mm. which would be I guess in February or March. March, I think they're we're looking at March if I'm not mistaken, um, but it's still up in the air. Uh, 
The date is still up in the air. We're going to definitely have the event. So it's October now, and, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably heard me say the date for the Agile Open Northern California. Mm-hmm pretty sure that that's happening uh, here in October. And then um, also the the one in the Northwest, um, it cycles between Seattle and, and Portland, but it'll be virtual this year as well. So I'm sure that's going to be planned for February once again. Um, but any number of Agile Opens that happen, um, and now that it's all virtual, anyone can take advantage of, of joining yeah. them uh, if they want to like just time shift, <laughs> you know, like get up a little earlier or stay up a little later, whatever it might be. Oh, Vic, if you don't mind, I have this to say, too, about the event in general, is that some people couldn't get off work, but they could take an hour here or an hour there. So they were able to attend a session uh, and reap the benefits of the community just an hour or two at a time. And that you don't find, of course, in a in a physical in a physical environment. And some might say, well, no, man, you've got to get step out to step in and I agree too I I have nothing against that but on the other hand the community has a lot of powerful thoughts a lot of has a dynamic that's extremely beneficial for anyone who can spend any amount of time in that community so I I noticed that from um, from one company especially uh, they had to step in and out quite a bit and it didn't matter and they benefited a lot right yeah good point nice Moving on, let's take on our next topic. Lakshmi, this is yours, playing to your strengths. Yes. Um, So the reason I wanted to propose this is um, we have been doing a lot of Strength Finders workshops um, with all of our teams. We have 15 teams across the organization, and they're all right-sized now. There are six to seven people, and it just gives me a lot of joy to see small teams because we all know the benefit of collaboration and communication and one of the big things that we've been uh, proposing is you need to be yourself Uh, for you to be become a high performing team it's really important to play to your strengths Um, because if you try to do something that's not naturally um, you know that you're not naturally inclined to do then you're just going to be resisting and then that resistance is going to come through in some form to the team and the team is going to feel that energy and you're not going to be able to get to that fluid state, right? So um, so we've been promoting that and it's just been really interesting, the reflection. Um, we've done it so far with 11 teams and the stories that I've heard are just amazing. Um, there's a few skeptics always, right? They're like, well, I don't know if this test is accurate. You know, I don't know how I'm a bunch of questions could read my mind, but, uh, but I'd say 95% of the people really believed in it. They took away some interesting insights. So I'm just curious to hear, um, if that's something that other organizations are doing, um, and what stories, uh, or insights you'd like to share. I'm I'm looking through uh, trying to remember what my strengths were, um, Larry. I think that when I joined Rocket Nine, um, you had joined just before I did, uh, almost about two years ago. Um, that we all, as a group, uh, did the Strengths Finder, um, and we got some results back. I think I got the the top five results or my mm-hmm. top five characteristics, whatever it was. Um, and I, I don't recall what they are, but I remember that, you know, some of us had a, a big overlap, but most of us were like really 
like complementing each other, mm-hmm. uh, which was really great to see. Unfortunately, it was only like four or five of us that did the exercise, and and I felt like we never used it to its advantage. I think that there's, as you're suggesting, I think that there's a tremendous opportunity there if you have people who are aware and and are thinking, yeah, this is a a good thing to like play into our strengths. Let's see where we can work synergistically with what the data is telling us, right? Exactly. Um, But again, I don't think we really got the ball rolling as much as we could have. But I think uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by, by your hypothesis here. And I'd love to continue hearing more about, um, you know, what comes of it at, at your workplace. Yeah. So we, we, the, so the workshop we did was, um, essentially once you set the stage and really introduce, you know, what strength finders is all about and the thinking behind it is we did this, uh, activity called give and get where you really had an opportunity to look at your top five strengths and share what can you give the team as a gift that you're strong in? And then what can you get from the team that you need support, uh, you know, something that you need support with, right? So um, so that was really, at first, nobody really got it, right? But once you got, got somebody to uh, be bold and take the, you know, take the first sticky note and put it on there, it all made sense, right? And the conversations then started to flow. Um, there's a UX designer that, you know, just, I just like love the way she lit up and said, well, now it makes sense because my number one strength is input, which is under strategic thinking. And this is why I ask so many questions. So now if I just tell the team that my need for asking all these questions comes from the fact that I need a lot of input. It's not because I don't trust you. It's just because I like to know. So if the team member understands that, then they're able to just now develop a good rapport and relationship and really um, work cohesively together, right? So that's just an example, but there's so much value in knowing how um, each of us work on a team because um, then if you just keep that in mind, you're able to build better relationships. You know, one of the things that uh, impressed me with uh, Strength Finder when I took it years ago was uh, the idea that you don't work on your, your weaknesses to make mm-hmm. them stronger. You work on your strengths to make them stronger. Mm-hmm. And that idea alone was a revolutionary thought. I've been working all my life on... Uh, strengthening my weaknesses and all of a sudden someone comes and says no uh that might be fine great thank you very much for doing that but work on your strengths and make them stronger and that really just set me free to appreciate myself that more uh my strengths more and to to uh to work on those strengths i want to say somehow the words are failing me here to celebrate your strengths i think Mm -hmm. is probably a good word these Mm -hmm. are my strengths and then of course as you just pointed out in an organization where you understand your strengths and your colleagues do also then you can start to uh, mix them up a bit and and you have a deeper understanding of of people's reactions i think on on rocket nine i um vic i think most that was probably for me one of the big takeaways and how we as a team was able were able to enjoy that is that um, we knew each other's strengths and so when somebody acted a little bit um, for me out of character i could see no he's acting 
for himself within character and I could appreciate that strength and learn to embrace it and learn from it and then you start to in conversation even I remember a number of conversations I had with a team member that I deeply appreciated and uh, they were pretty straightforward in their approach and and you could say dogmatic although that wasn't the case it was just their personality and their strength but the way they thought was incredibly beneficial so to to understand that there's a difference understand that that's their strength and understand that their strength um, uh, um, accompanies my own making us both stronger making the organization stronger was a was a, a revolutionary thought for me yeah, I agree. There's a there's a beautiful story which I'm probably going to butcher, so you should probably read it yourself. But the synopsis is there's a shoemaker um, that is really good at making shoes, and that's his strength, right? And um, and he wants to really scale his business, but he just doesn't. He's not good at those parts. That's not where his energy comes from. So um, so then they really share that he partners with someone that's really good at marketing and business. And then he's able to scale his business and make 200 shoes because he just loves making shoes. He doesn't want to deal with all the other stuff. So, so I think knowing your strengths and knowing that that's your superpower is really important because all you need to do is partner with someone else that's going to take you to the next step, right? And that's what a team is. So yeah, exactly. um, really creating that awareness within the team, how all of you work together and play to your strengths and then still create a harmonious environment is what it's all about. For me, um, just since we've been kind of working remotely, uh, not in the office, you know, for the last, wow, six months or so, yeah. um, I feel that this has been, uh, maybe I'm privileged, maybe I'm very fortunate that I kind of went this route, but I kind of took the time to, again, focus on my own strengths and, and kind of say no to a lot of things that I'd been doing um, as part of a company, as uh, being obligated to visit clients, you know, all of that. Um, and now I, I could kind of like pick and choose what I'm going to give my time and attention to. And I'm having the time of my life. I mean, mm, I, I've just got to be awesome. honest because I feel like for maybe for once in my life, I'm, I'm really kind of focusing just on the strengths. Um, and there's room for improvement. And I'll, I'm not, you know, saying that I'm going to be here in the same uh, position for a while. It's just lately, that's kind of how I felt. And what's interesting, Larry, is that when we were working together, um, I was looking at the, the data, all of us had, most of us had the learner um, oh, yeah. strength. Yeah. And, and so it's interesting. I wonder if that's good or if that's, uh, or if there's a downside to having a team where there is like, like a common strength uh, amongst most of the team members. I think probably it's a good thing as long as, mm -hmm. again, you can kind of balance out the team through our other, other skills, other strengths. You know, now that you mention it, Vic, that re reminds me of a situation that we had one time where I think uh, Scott was talking along and said, you know, we really got to come to, a, to an agreement here. Uh, we have to ha hammer out a plan. And we were happy to research, to read, and we were going on and, and um, talking about theories and, and plans and what we've read, what we want to read. And no, the idea was, no, guys, thank you very much. We've had a great time here talking about what we've learned. Now we have to actually 
create a plan and we have to execute that plan. I remember oftentimes he uh, said that we have to work on execution because we're really great with strategy, really great with thinking about things and learning things, but we have to knuckle down and actually do it now. So that came up a few times. I think that's probably because we're all learners. All right. And how about you, listeners? Let us know if you've used a tool like StrengthsFinder uh, with your teams. Engage with us on Twitter using the hashtag TellAgileCoffee. The next topic. Larry, this one is yours. It says value hypothesis. One of the things that I noticed was kind of like a hot button issue that came up uh, a number of times was a value hypothesis or the business hypothesis, but mostly value hypothesis. I thought that was interesting. Uh, and I have to remember, I uh, I'm, um, was the moderator of a room, so I had to stay in the room and p- the, the conversations came to me. So I thought that was either somebody put a big sign on the door or on the board. If you have something to say about value hypothesis, go to this room. Or actually it was a big topic because it came up a few times. Everywhere you go, it's following you around. Yeah, yeah. This is interesting. I, um, this is something I uh, started to think more seriously about when I uh, took um, uh, my safe training because it's part of the lean portfolio management idea. It comes right out of lean startup. It's where uh, you've got an idea, you want to try it. So let's just get something out there very quickly to get it on the market, get it in people's hands, get their response, get it back, and then you know whether uh, it's going to work or not. But we all understand that, but the idea of a value hypothesis is to actually go through an exercise where you sit down and go, this is what I expect financially, this is what I expect uh, it to do to the market, this is what, how it should serve our customers, and you come up with your KPIs, and it's all there in a nice little condensed bundle. So that's how that value hypothesis works, and uh, I even um, introduced a couple of teams where I work to the the templates that uh, SAFE provides. Uh, But then I was amazed to find out that now it's not just Larry that's interested in value hypothesis these days. It seems to be catching on a lot. And I think it's because of the value it brings. Not so much because it sounds cool, but because it actually takes you through a mental exercise to nail down what is it that I want and scope it in tight enough so it is an experiment that you can either prove or disprove. And that is uh, something that seems to be catching on. And like I said, came up a number of times during Agile Open. Larry, can you share one or two examples of, because um, I know I know this topic from from you and, and from SAFE, but I wasn't in any room where it, it popped up. So can you give a couple of scenarios where it came up during the actual conference? Uh, one company, that comes to mind right away uh, said they began using it uh, with their product owners. And uh, then their product owners had to work their way through the template. It's not complicated and come up with these uh, experiments. And the thing that came out of that conversation uh, in that particular conversation was that this is only just an experiment. So let's, let's define it as clearly as possible and let's set ourselves uh, a goal, meaning uh, a hypothesis has to show something, right? If I drop the pen, I hypothesize that it's going to hit the floor, right? So 
let's just see that the end result should be that it hits the floor. If it floats upward, then you know your hypothesis didn't work out and then you have to go back to the drawing board. The, the, the benefit was that it gave the product owners a tool where they could ask better questions and then go back to the business and set uh, clearer expectations. As we all know, right, when you, you get a large project, the, um, the executive team, they've got the numbers worked out. They've got the whole thing worked out. They know that it's supposed to do this or have that impact on the, uh, the customer base or the market. But that's way too big. And so the benefit of um, the, the testimonies, if you will, the stories that uh, were conveyed during the Agile Open was that, you know, break it down. Find out exactly that one little piece that you want to um, discover and see if that works. That's great. I mean, so I, I really like that because I think we, as, a, as an organization, Pacquiolan is also very inclined to making more data-driven decisions. So, mm-hmm. um, so we're also sizing our initiatives to be smaller so we can really understand, you know, is this adding any value? And then being able to pivot if it's not adding value, um, that's the key. So um, so we have a big culture now in our organization to do inceptions before every initiative. So you bring the team together, get them aligned to their purpose and kick off the work in an effective way. Um, and then really, and then even along the way, it's not, it's not that once you kicked off the initiative that they're off and delivering without any any um, attention to what value it's bringing, right? So we continue to facilitate some stakeholder meetings to make sure every when every slice of the initiative is completed that it's actually delivering value. And if it's not, then you know let's stop now. Let's not continue investing in something that's not going to add value, right? So I love the idea of being able to really look at your data and see. Is it really adding value? And to be able to get that feedback from your stakeholders and your customers, uh, doing early demos or, um, you know, any way that you can showcase that is great. Would you be able to share some of that? Uh, tell us what kind of data you, what, what kind of data were you able to get that helped you make a decision? Just the, the what parts of the system that, that they find valuable, right? Um, what are they actually using? And sometimes they're actually using another part of the system than we, what we think they're using. Um, and uh, so there's just so many insights that you get when you just look at the data usage and patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, which schools are using it more? We're in the college athletic space. You know, what's... Uh, and when we think that, oh, this school is too big, they're probably not going to use this feature. Well, guess what? They are, you know? So um, it's just really insightful when you actually look at what they're using and then come back and make better decisions based on um, based on the usage. Have you been able to save money? Uh, when I think of that and I hear that example, I'm thinking, wow, you guys must be, if you're creating the right thing and if you're delivering value incrementally and quickly, then you have to be saving money. Have you noticed that you've saved anything? Um, I wouldn't say um, we've noticed that we've saved money. I think we've noticed that we're making the right investments. Um, Mm -hmm. And we've only been at this for a short amount of time where we've now kind of pivoted to having smaller initiatives. Mm -hmm. We're getting it to market quicker. 
We are also um, amplifying it by looking at the data. So it's gone a whole cycle. So I'd say that, you know, it's been during this pandemic that all of the shift has happened. So um, I'd say, I mean, I think when we're past the pandemic, we should probably have a better idea because um, college athletics is not so big right now. Events are just coming back. So, um, so I think that if this was a normal year, we would probably be able to have that data. Interesting. Yeah. I like how you say um, your, your initiatives now are, are, are sized smaller too, because we talk so much in um, any agile practice, whether it's Scrum or, or um, XP or other, about making the work small uh, so that it can yes. flow through the system faster. But oftentimes we kind of ignore the, uh, the initiatives themselves. Exactly. Um, and, and, and I remember um, I had used um, Inceptions with the company I worked at back a while ago. In fact, I put a post on the, um, the Agile Coffee website uh, back in 2014. And, uh, and it was a two-day inception. And it would probably cover a project that would maybe take us three months or four months if we did the whole thing. So it wasn't too large. Um, but then when I, when I went to work somewhere else, uh, we weren't using inceptions, but we were using um, quarterly planning where we would come into a, a big room, kind of safe, does their big room planning. You know, Yay, and I'm actually going to be talking about Inceptions at the next uh, uh, Agile SoCal meetup. So we'll have information then uh, on the show notes here, um, agilecoffee.com slash episode 73. <laughs> uh, Vicky reminded me just now of a question I wanted to ask Lakshmi real quick. Uh, when you do have, um, when you're using a, a value hypothesis and, and these things are really well scoped in, how do you do long-term planning? How I can imagine that your PMO is just freaking out. You can't give them a one-year, one-year horizon and all your uh, milestones. How, how do you manage that? Yeah, that, I would say the credit of that goes to our CTO. Um, he's been really good at building trust with the business uh, side of the organization, and um, we we really have even uh, made it kind of we proclaimed it even at our. Um, you know, conference uh, called PACnet in February with our customers that we're not going to release roadmaps anymore because what we're going to do is we're actually going to focus on what we can do to add value and we're going to constantly share that with them, get their feedback, and we're going to work on making our work visible, but we're not going to say this is when we're going to release the product. We're going to actually release it when we're ready. Right. So um, so that's been a big shift. Um, I think it definitely makes um, the finance side of the organization a little bit nervous. Um, but what we've tried to do is we try to bucket our um, investments in a meaningful way that is measurable. So we don't know exactly what initiatives we're going to do under those investments or bets, because that might pivot, that might change based on what we learn. But our goal is to get to a certain outcome, right? So we're we're trying to get finance to think about it from the investment perspective and not focus so much on the granular initiatives. So we're we're going to see how that goes. <laughs> when you figure it out, you'll have to write your own book about this. Is this I'll a partner deal? with you, Larry. <laughs> oh, okay. Fine. Yeah. It's a deal. <laughs> I think we have time for one more, one more topic that we can uh, jump into. So let's see how this goes. So, uh, Lakshmi, this is your topic as well. You had written here, um, creating a values and principles-based culture. 
Yeah. So I feel like I'm, um, you know, it, it seems like I have stock in Pakiolan or something. <laughs> talking about a lot of things happening in our organization. Um, but it's been a very interesting year. I've only been with them since January. And one of the big things that I got involved with, aside from Inceptions, is doing a lot of values and principles workshops with all the teams. So um, we wanted to really build our product engineering values, but we didn't want to do it in a vacuum. So as a leadership team, we had some idea of what values we wanted to have in you know, our um, a set of values, but we wanted some feedback from the teams. So, um, so we actually took our draft values um, and I used kind of this a workshop format called the High Performance Tree from Lisa Atkins' uh, Coaching Agile Teams book, where um, you have a tree and all of your fruits are the values, right? And then you talk about practices or beliefs that you want to embody to be able to get those, to uphold those values. So um, so I, I feel like when we did that, there was, there were a lot of aha moments with the teams because uh, first of all, being able to be, involved in creating values for the organization was really meaningful to the teams. Um, Being able to be involved to say, what are the principles that we would actually need to follow to be able to uphold those values? Um, I just loved that participation from everyone. And even though all of the values and the ideas that the teams had did not eventually make it in our product engineering values, but they feel close to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that now created um, this culture where it's now their values, their set of values, and they feel like they will do something to uphold it. Right. Uh, it's personal. So um, so I wanted to see if uh, what the experience is in uh, with other organizations and, you know, how do you really build a culture based on values and principles? Um, I think that's a big topic, but. <laughs> Lakshmi, were people coming out with ideas and topics organically from their from their own uh, thoughts, or was there sort of a, a baseline manifesto of values for the company, and then it springs from there? So that's a good question. Um, so the way we started it is we knew that the teams would struggle with kind of going from a blank slate, right? So we started with some draft values and I put them up in this tree and uh, talked about each value. And I said, so does this speak to you? Do you agree with this? What else would you like to add to this, right? And and then this this brainstorming started, right? So, um, so then each value, we talked about each value for a long time. And then we talked about what principles we need to keep in mind to uphold that value, right? So teams were able to really relate to that value uh, with respect to what they do on a day-to-day basis. Um, and then come back and say, yes, this is a good value, right? So, um, so that's really how we went about it. But I don't know if starting with a blank slate is better. <laughs> so I just wanted to get everyone's perspectives on it. No, I think many people, um, maybe if I think about our community that we mentioned earlier, I, I don't think we like to work with a blank slate. I think <laughs> uh, I think having a basis is 
Uh, I, personally, I think it's human nature, but I wonder if I'm limited to my human nature and, yeah. and, li and like-minded people. But, you know, I would much rather have a baseline and then be able to make commentary on the baseline mm -hmm. as opposed to starting from scratch. You know, even if you start from scratch, you're not really starting from scratch. You know, like um, if you write a book, you oftentimes uh, fall back or in your mind, you have all those books that you've read up until this time. So mm -hmm. that's part of your process that you've internalized those ideas and and may, you may not even remember where they came from, but yet they're there. So if we start from scratch, we're still starting from a, a higher a higher level than you might that we may think it's not like you have to invent the wheel all over again each time even though we often uh refer to that and try to keep ourselves from doing it but uh we we're constantly learning new things and getting new input from people so i don't think we ever set ourselves back to absolute zero having said that it, it is um it is great to start with something mm -hmm. <laughs> put together a concept but that concept will grow out of all your life experiences. That's true. That's so true. I'm, I'm familiar with the exercise that you talked about from um, from Lisa's book, Lisa Adkins's book, Coaching Agile Teams. Yes. In fact, um, I've 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 seen it in a, in a training that I was in. Probably one of my first trainings that I've done in in Scrum and Agile. Um, uh, the trainer used it. And I've been using it since with my teams. I still, I've converted it to my mural board and I'll walk through it. Um, Lisa is very, um, when she explains it in her book, she refers to where the scrum values came from, which is in the uh, Mike Beadle and Ken Schwaber book um, back from the early 2000s agile software development with scrum as well as the uh the leaves of the tree or the branches yeah. of the tree i think came from gene tabeka's collaboration explained book and in lisa's book she kind of puts those together and i think it's beautifully done so um yeah. i'm really happy to hear you're using that when i'm when i'm talking about values again i teach scrum classes um so when i introduce values i take that blank slate approach mm -hmm. but before i even tell what the five values in in the scrum guide are i i I ask the participants, like, think of a good team, the best team you've been on. Like, what's the yeah. value that just pops to mind? Or, or conversely, think of like the one of a, the bad experiences you've had with a team. What was the value that was missing? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good way to um, to kick off like the blank slate, like give them something that they could think back in terms sure. of uh, what worked really well in the past that they'd love to see happen again. Yeah, I like that. I love I love envisioning the perfect team. Do you have a perfect team that uh, you can think of that you work We talked with? about it in the beginning of this show. Yeah, the planning <laughs> Agile <laughs> Open team. The planning, the planning committee for Agile Open, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> That's why I'm so happy to have uh, have the four of us together here today. Um, I hope you all come back. Uh, this was a, a really terrific discussion today. So um, just one more time, I want to thank each and every one of you uh, for joining us today. So thank you to Lakshmi Ramasishan on Twitter at Ramasez2, Rama S-E-S, -E the number two. And we'll have that on the show notes here. Larry Lawhead on Twitter at Larry Lawhead and Professor Hadar Ziv, who's um, lurking on Twitter. We'll never know. Is he who he says he is? Um, I exist only as a troll. 
<laughs> By the way, uh, teaching classes uh, at UCI, how's, how's UCI's fall semester kicking off being all online? Well, funny you should ask, today is literally the first day of class for fall quarter. Hooray! Um, seriously, because UCI is on a quarter system, it starts late. Okay. And, and this year is extra late. And um, so I've, I've already had my first uh, session of a class with uh, 290 students. In, in one Zoom call or is in that the Zoom call? So you use Zoom also? Yeah. Going back to our original topic, Zoom works with 290 students, yes, <laughs> which is very nice to see. Do you have any other online tools that you're using so far, like a Miro or a Mural or... So the the only, um, let's call it genres, where you would find more tools in academia, one is for any kind of interaction. So yeah, things like Poll Anywhere and, uh, and the Kahoot and Mentimeter, people use them all the time because we, we're, we're desperate to find ways to get any kind of action and interaction with the students because we don't have them with us in a, in a physical classroom. Mm-hmm. Well, once again, thank you all for joining us uh, today. Uh, engage with us using the hashtag on Twitter, Ask Agile Coffee, if you have a topic you'd like to hear in an upcoming episode. So until next time, enjoy your coffee with friends. Angel. Coffee.